Suja, would you come and pray for me before I start to preach? Thank you. God, thank you so much for Paul um, that I should you um, been on anointing him as our minister. Um, give him um, courage this morning as he as he speaks the word of God to us, and we really just want to renew with your word. So I pray that you will be with him um, all the way through. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Susan. <coughs> Susan prayed for um, boldness there and. Sometimes I bring a quite a challenging message. Today is a message of encouragement for you, hopefully. So uh, hopefully you'll be encouraged rather than going away thinking, oh, I can't do that. Oh, wow, that's too much for me. Hopefully this will be an encouragement for you to realize that, yes, all things are possible with God. So I'm going to preach this morning from Psalm 32. As you know, we're doing... Uh, a series of preaching on, on the Psalms, Psalm book, the first book of Psalms, Psalms 1 to 41. And uh, today I'm going to be speaking on Psalm 32. And in the NIV it says this <clears throat> Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bits and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. I want to look this morning particularly at verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Here God is saying not only to the psalmist, but also to each one of us. Look, I have a specific plan and purpose for each one of you. And I want you to walk in that plan and purpose. I know, by the way, I, your God, will instruct you in the way I want you to go. I'll help you to work out how to do it. And I'll watch over while you do it. And by implication, if there are any problems along the way, I'll be there to help you sort them out. 
What's the condition that God puts on this amazing promise? Well, there's, there's only one that I can see, and it comes in verse 10. And it's one that should be obvious, and one that we need to adhere to in order to fill God's purposes anyway. It says, The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. So, the inference of all this is that God speaks to us. As Paul was sharing, there was a real sense of God's presence at conference as Chris Cartwright took over the reins of Elim. And we can have confidence that as the Holy Spirit was there, he would have been speaking not only to Chris, but also to those others on the leadership team there with him to say, come on guys, this guy needs your support. Get round him, help him, protect him, love him, give him your wisdom. Because moving from being a member of the NLT to moving to being the general superintendent may not sound a lot, but the responsibility that comes onto the shoulders of that man are far, far greater than just a move of position. I know that when I was ordained into the uh, Elam Church and I came to take over um, from Nick in here, uh, somebody asked the question, well, what's the difference going to be? And uh, Nick gave a very good answer about why the responsibility of moving the mantle almost, as, as happened in the Bible, does bring with it huge responsibilities. And I soon found out that to be true. And uh, so we need to carry on praying for Chris in our, our prayer times. So God does speak to us, and as we walk in his will, he carries on speaking to us. It may not be in an audible voice, although there are several examples of this in the Bible, but as we trust in him and walk his path, he will speak to us. The Bible, his written word, is our yardstick against which we should measure all other forms of guidance. If the guidance cannot be backed up by scripture, then we almost certainly should ignore it. There are many ways in the Bible that God speaks to his people. Uh, just a few of them. These, these are on the website, so you don't need, if you don't want to, to try and scribble them down now because they're going to come quite fast. You can go onto the website and you'll be able to read it and you'll be able to hear it as well. Or you can have a top copy of my transcript if you're not on the net. <clears throat> so just a few of these are promptings of the Holy Spirit, Acts 13, 2. The counsel of godly people, 2 Samuel 12, 1 to 14. Words of knowledge, wisdom and prophecy, 1 Samuel 9, 19, Matthew 22 and 15 to 22 and Acts 11, 28. The voice of conscience, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Visions, Acts 16.9. Dreams, Genesis 37 and 5 to 9. Angels, Matthew 22 and 15 to 22. His audible voice, 1 Samuel 3 and 1 to 14. And confirming circumstances, 
1 Samuel 14, 6 to 12. Not surprisingly, in order to discover God's will for us, we need to get to know him. This takes time, as with all friendships and relationships, they develop over months and years, rather than days and weeks. Although nowadays there are those who claim to have a new best friend after having spent two weeks in a holiday camp with them. Or on a reality television show. And the same is true of our relationship with God. We need to give him our attention and study his word in depth so that we can discover more and more about him. We'll never discover everything this side of heaven, but we can, through our own efforts, find out a lot about him. This, I know, is increasingly difficult in the busyness of modern life. But if we truly want to serve him, then we need to put the effort in. As we put the effort in at work or school or in a relationship with someone else in order to advance ourselves, then in order to advance our relationship with God, we need to put in at least as much effort into building our relationship with him. And I would suggest probably more. As I said before, God can speak directly by his spirit. We can test whether it's God's voice or not. God's voice will always acknowledge Jesus as Lord and align with the written word of God in Scripture. If it doesn't, be very careful about what you do with what you're hearing. I want to give a few pointers on how to hear God's voice. Some of these were first published by Lauren Cunningham, that those of you at YWAM will know well, is the founder of YWAM. And he heard God's voice in 1984, and YWAM was founded. And these are some of the thoughts amongst these which he's put down on hearing God's voice. Again, the scripture quotes are on the web page, or you can have them later, rather than struggling to listen and write. Submit to his lordship. Ask him to silence your own thoughts and desires, to silence the opinions of others that may fill your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us that. God gave you a good mind to use, but right now you want to hear his thoughts, who has the best mind of all. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Secondly, resist the enemy. He doesn't want you listening to God. So you need to use the authority Jesus has given you to silence him. That's in Ephesians 10, verse 20, and James 4, verse 7. Next, you need to expect your loving Heavenly Father to speak to you. You need to expect him to speak to you. If you wait for him, he will. Exodus 33, 11, and Psalm 69, 13, and John 10, 27 tells you this. 
Next, God wants to speak in many different ways, as we saw earlier. Don't expect him to speak how you want him to yield your heart to his will, because he won't always speak to you in the way that you'd like him to. But what he says will be what's right for you. Keep a short account of your sins and confess them regularly. It says in Psalm 66:18 that a clean heart is needed to hear God. I'll let God speak to you directly. Don't expect other people always to speak for him. That can be very dangerous. God will speak directly to you, so let him do it. He may use others to confirm what he's saying. Those others will be trusted Christian friends and family around you. But acting on a word brought by others who you don't know can be dangerous. 1 Kings 13 tells the story of how that pans out. One which I'm sure we've always got, all of us have got wrong at some point in our life because of who we are. We're human beings and we're impatient. But we need to let things happen in God's timing. Sometimes he will ask you to act immediately. Others to wait until he tells you the time is right. And if he does tell you to wait, it's usually to avoid one of at least four pitfalls, there's probably more. And God knows that they're there, so that's why he's telling you to wait. The first of them is pride. God's spoken to me, and I want to tell everybody, and I want to do it now. Avoid pride when God speaks to you. Second one is presumption. Sometimes God doesn't tell us everything that he wants in one go. Sometimes he'll visit us a couple of three times to do it. And we can presume after hearing it first time that we have full understanding of what it is that he wants. But you won't. So if you don't quite understand what God said to you the first time, then wait. Because he will make it clear. So don't presume because you've heard half a story that... It's right. Third one is missing God's timing and methodology. Don't do that. And the last one is bringing confusion to others. Sometimes the message that God brings you isn't only for you yourself. It's also going to involve other people as well. And if you start to act immediately before God's had a chance to speak to those people, you're going to bring confusion to them. Because God needs to speak to them and prepare their hearts as part of God's plan as well. You can read about that in Mark 5 verse 19 and in Luke 9 verse 36. So we need to be careful when God speaks to us. We don't need to be afraid, we don't need to be frightened, but we do need to be careful that what we're hearing is the complete thing that we would need to hear, that we're not rushing out and doing things out of pride or presumption. 
that we wait for God's timing because it's only when we do it in God's timing that it works. If we do it outside God's timing, then things go wrong. God will reveal your calling. Every follower of Jesus has a unique ministry. We're told that in Romans 12, verse 1, in Corinthians 12, in Ephesians 4, 1, in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. So God tells us in lots of places that we have a unique ministry in Jesus. And the more you seek to hear God's voice in detail, the more effective you will be in your own calling. God's guidance is not a game. It's a serious business where we learn what God wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. It's not something that we need to take flippantly. It's something we need to be... It's one of those times when we need to be serious with God. Sometimes we can be uh, joyous, as we've heard in the last few weeks. Sometimes we can be really going there praising and worshipping. But there are times in our relationship with God, when we need to be serious, and this is one of those times when we're seeking God's calling upon our life. The will of God is doing and saying the right thing in the right place with the right people at the right time and in the right sequence under the right leadership using the right method with the right attitude of heart. Let me say that again. The will of God is doing and saying the right thing in the right place with the right people at the right time and in the right sequence under the right leadership using the right method with the right attitude of heart which is why I was so encouraged when Paul came to me this morning and talked to me about the anointing which he'd seen upon Chris Cartwright. Elim, if Paul is to be believed, and I have no reason not to, is under the right leadership at the moment. So that's one of those criteria filled. <coughs> sounds sounds daunting, daunting, doesn't it? That's a daunting word to say as well. Sounds daunting, doesn't it? But God's gracious. He very rarely expects us to take on huge tasks immediately. And to return to the original verse we were looking at, verse 8, there are huge reassurances within that verse. It says, I. That's God. Not you, not me, not someone else, however well-meaning, who thinks God has spoken but God himself will instruct you. Not maybe, not perhaps, not possibly, will instruct you. Having instructed us, God then says, not only will I, God, instruct you, but also I, God, will teach you in the way you should go. God isn't about giving us instructions and then saying, get on with it. 
He knows that we need teaching for some, if not all, of the things he instructs us to do. And being the loving God he is, he undertakes to not only instruct us, but also to teach us. Isn't that great? You would have thought that would be enough, really, wouldn't you? But no. God goes on to say that he, God, will counsel us. What does that mean? Quite a lot. The dictionary tells us counsel means advice, guidance, direction, instruction, information, enlightenment. God will do all that and more. Enough, you say, I'm convinced. But no, God doesn't stop there. Not only will he instruct you and teach you and counsel you, but perhaps the most reassuring of all, he tells us, he, God, will watch over you. From other portions of scripture, we know that that means he will never leave us or forsake us. He will hold us firm in his hand and never let us go. Enough now to convince you that God has a plan and purpose for your life and he will guide and direct your steps in it if you will let him. And if we just trust him, as it tells us in verse 10, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Note that word, unfailing. It isn't some wishy-washy, here today, gone tomorrow love that God is offering us. It's God's love. And if he says it's unfailing, then we can know with a certainty that it is just that. Unfailing, because God's promises are yes and amen. With his unfailing love surrounding us, why should we be daunted? Why should we be concerned about what he asks us to do? Let him guide you and lead you and teach and instruct you and counsel you and watch over you. And what can go wrong as you trust in God? Not a lot. Amen.